Welcome to the Equipers Church Budapest podcast. We hope today's message will encourage and inspire you. For more information, check equiperschurch.au. Who is happy and who is ready to hear the word of God tonight? Awesome, awesome, awesome. You were not too excited. I'm going to preach anyway. I'm going to preach anyway. Well, uh, friends, we're in the middle of a series that we have called Our House, God's House. And we've been talking about um, uh, being involved in the things of God and just, you know, volunteer and being commissioned for ministry. Um, You know, we all get the, the huge privilege of being a part of what God is doing on earth. You know, it's it's much better to ask God what He is doing and plug in rather than do our own thing and ask God to bless it. You know, oftentimes we do the second thing. We do our own stuff, our own projects, and then we say, God, would you please bless it? How many of you do that? Sometimes I do that. You know, I plan things and I venture doing stuff and, and then I ask God, to bless it. But it's much better actually to seek what he is doing. Plug into that. And guaranteed he's going to bless it. Because it's his house. It's his stuff. So I love this topic. This theme. Our house. God's house. You know. Oft, I thought of this. Oftentimes we actually put these two into tension. Oftentimes, we actually uh, use some of the difficult verses in the Bible, some of the harsh verses in the Bible, like, you know, Jesus said you should hate the loved ones, and we take it out of the context, and we somehow put these two into tension. Or sometimes we create these priority lists. Now, I don't know if you have a priority list. I used to kind of operate under some kind of a priority list. You know, God first, family second, ministry third. But I, I came to a point in my life when God challenged me to change all of that. You know, He doesn't just want to have the first place. He wants to have the second place and the third place and the 99th place and the last place. The whole thing, He wants to be the center of it all. It's not just like uh, some important section of your life should be governed by Him. He wants to be a part of everything in my life. Uh, Picture an orange. If you cut the orange into half so you could see every slice. Do you get that picture? I mean, if you're hungry, when I talk about an orange. You, You cut the orange in half and you have all of those slices inside of the orange. Now imagine one of those slices is your family. Another slice is your girlfriend. Another one is your your hobbies, your vacations, your education, your jobs. And in the very center, there's Jesus. He's not just one slice. He's not just one slice of the orange. He is the very center of the orange. You know, we don't want to just put these two into tension. You know, God's house, our house. What I want to talk about is 
Make Jesus the center of your life. And then every area of your life will be blessed. Make Jesus the center and your life will be blessed in all areas. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Make Jesus the center and guaranteed all of your life will be blessed. So there are simply three things I want to talk about tonight. Here is the first one. Build your house. Can you say this with me? Build your house. I'm going to talk about your house, our house first. You know, because, you know, God is not being honored when you neglect your house. Let me say that again. God is not honored if you neglect your house. You know, we are not called to live like John the Baptist. He was quite an interesting fellow. He was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And he was also, you know, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, he, he had a special diet. He wasn't too fat. Eating locusts and honey. Uh, he also had some funny fashion. Um, he would wear camel's skin. And he had an interesting address. He lived in the desert. You know, there's not many of you in the room who have the same calling on your life. We are generally not called to live like John the Baptist. You know, our life, our lifestyle, our family life, our house is a testimony to the nature of God. Let me say that again. Your life is a testimony to the nature of God, the goodness of God, the heart of God. Your life is a shop window to God's house. When people see you, when people see your house, your family, your lifestyle, they should see the reflection of God's house. So friends, you better build your house. You better invest into your lifestyle. If you don't take care of your house, how will you manage God's household? God actually states that clearly in the Bible that if we don't take care of our own house, we are actually not qualified to serve and to lead in his house. 1 Timothy 3.5 says, If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Don't be a super spiritual Christian, somebody. Don't be a super spiritual Christian. You know, there are those people floating in the air. Like if they did not have a house on the earth. God actually calls us to live an exemplary life here. So that when others see us, they actually see a reflection of His heart, of His house. You are a shop window to God's house. Did you know that? Can you look at your neighbor and say like, God is looking good on you. God is looking good on you. You are a shop window to the house of God. You know, this is actually so important that this was actually one of the qualifications for a Christian leader in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 3, 4, we actually see that a leader must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a matter worthy of 
full respect. In other words, if my house is actually not in order, I am not qualified to serve in God's house or to lead God's house. I'm going to tell you two stories from the Bible. The first one is the story of Moses. You know, when Moses turns 80, God calls him into full-time ministry. Hey, friends, it's never too late. I should not be saying this because I'm probably the oldest guy in the room. <laughs> uh, Moses is 80 and he's called to full-time ministry. And you probably know this story. God speaks to him in the burning bush. And then he is on the way to Egypt to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And this is actually what we read in chapter 4 of Exodus verse 24. So Moses is on his way with his wife Zipporah. And his son. And this is what we read. At a lodging place on the way the Lord met Moses. And was about to kill him. Now it's a dangerous spot to be in full time ministry. It's a dangerous spot to actually fully surrender to God. And say yes I will serve you God. So his wife Zipporah took a flint knife. Now this may be a bit gross. She cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. I apologize, but this is part of the Bible as well. And this is what she said. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Now I, I, I was really puzzled by this story, but listen to this. Moses was going to deliver Israel, God's firstborn. Yet, his own son was not dedicated to God. Listen to this. God is stopping Moses before he goes to Egypt to deliver Israel from Egypt. And he deals with him first. And he has, he's saying, hey Moses, if you want me to use you in my house... Put your house into order first. Minister to your own son first. Before you go to minister to my son Israel. This is incredibly powerful. Some of you need to hear that today. God is challenging you to put your house into order before you go minister in God's house. Can anybody say, can anybody say amen to this? Here is, uh, here is an important principle. Uh, Moses was consumed with God's house, but he was careless with his own house at this point. Here's the second example in the Bible. It's the story of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. Now, this is one of the successful kings in the Bible. And we read about this king in the book of Isaiah chapter 38. Just follow with me. In those days... Hezekiah became ill and he was at the point of death. A man of God, the godly king, is about to die. Now the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, comes to him and he says, This is what the Lord says. Listen carefully. Put your house in order. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Now this was pretty straightforward. God tells this king, hey, put your house in order. Now, thankfully, we know the rest of the story. He prayed. God actually 
healed him, he recovered, and he lived for another 15 years. But we should all heed uh, the command that Hezekiah received. Put your house in order. In other words, make sure you build your house right. Do not neglect your house. Friends, let me just emphasize that. Let me highlight it for some of us. Yes, I, as a pastor, I want all of you to serve in God's house. But let me put this very plain and very clear. First of all, put your house into order. Make sure that your own family, your own life, your own lifestyle actually represents the house of God. Come on, let's give Jesus some mighty praise. You're too quiet tonight. Yeah, all right, all right. So the first point is, is build God's house. Here is my second point tonight. Ready? With your house, build God's house. With your house, build God's house. See, uh, I, you know, I don't believe that God is glorified if you build His house while your house is not in order. As I said, you know, we have seen too many superficial Christians, super spiritual Christians serving God. And then you see the children despising their Christian parents because they see, you know, a double life, you know. They see that their parents are just playing a game in the church. But at home they're different. Or, or we see Christians that are bringing shame to the name of Christ before their own neighbors and colleagues and classmates. And their friends are saying, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. Have you seen that? Now, I believe that God is glorified when our house is in order. And then with our house, we build God's house together with others. Let me say that again. I believe that God is really glorified when our house is in order. And then with our house, we actually serve God's house together with others. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. See, we should live in such a way that the, the other people around us, they actually see our life and they're like, yeah, I want this. And God is glorified. You know, uh, there are portions in the Bible that many Christians skip over. We call these portions genealogies. Those are, uh, you know, the boring parts. You see so many names, hundreds on, of names on one page. So and so begot so and so. So and so was the son of so and so. Now, how many of you actually admit you skipped those pages in your Bible reading? You can repent later tonight. Now, I'm going to give you one of the reasons why genealogies are in the Bible. How many want to know? Just for you. <laughs> I think one of the reasons genealogies are in the Bible 
is so we could see that my house is just a small part of a much bigger picture. My house, my family, my life is a part of this big chain. Is a part of a big story. Something that God is doing globally. From generation to generation to another generation. And then to another generation. And I get to play one part. I get to be a, a link in the chain. You know, sometimes I'm, I, I'm really sad when I see a Christian family or an individual decide to just do their ordinary, ordinary life. Like, I'll just, I'll just live my life. I don't want to, I'm going to live my own dream and I'm going to live my own Christian life. But, hey, you don't understand that your house, your life is to play an important part. In a much bigger plan, in a much bigger family, in a much bigger kingdom. I love this. I think Toby said that in, in the message last week that it's actually not about you. Let me bring the bad news to some of you. It actually is not about you. We get to play a small part in the big picture. You know, uh, we live in the 21st century that is full of individualism. Living my own life. And even in Christianity, we get to have that individualism. Living my own faith. Sort of detached from others. And detached from what God wants to do. But we've been saying that over and over again in this church. That discipleship is a process of personal transformation. That happens in a community. God is actually taking you on a journey together with others. And then together with other generations, the kingdom is built. God's story is actually played out. Now, you know, look at the size of the house of God. This is what Jesus says when he describes his father's house in John 14 verse 2 he says my father's house has many rooms if that were not so would I have told you that I'm going to I'm going there to prepare a place for you in other words Jesus says in my my father's house is so big it's actually big enough for all of you there is so much room in my father's house now, when we talk about God's house, let me, let me say that very plainly. His house is so much bigger than we think, that we imagine. Friends, uh, whether you're singles, whether you're couples, your moms and dads, let me challenge you tonight. With your house, invest into something larger than you. God's house. His house is so much bigger. I actually want to really challenge you tonight. Don't live your own individualistic Christian life. Be a part of something bigger than you. The house of God. Whether you are a single, you can invest your life to be a part of something much bigger than you. The house of God. Or if you are a young family or a married couple, you can actually live your dream as a part of 
a much bigger dream, the house of God. I'm going to give you two stories to underline this point of my message. The first one is, and in both of them, I'm going to take it to the Old Testament. The first one of those stories is the story of Zerubbabel. It's uh, a guy in the Old Testament in the year 538 before Christ. Uh, he returned uh, back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian exile. And he actually led hundreds of people with him back to Jerusalem. Soon the altar is rebuilt. You know, the whole city was in ruins, but Zerubbabel filled with the Holy Spirit. He is rebuilding the altar and he's rebuilding the temple. Even though there is local opposition, there is a lot of uh, opposition from the local enemies, uh, multiple enemies, they are building the house of God. And then his contemporary called Haggai prophesies. You can read that in his book in the Bible, the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 9 and 14. This is what he says. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Listen to this. He says, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. What is he saying? Haggai is saying that, hey guys, you've come back to Jerusalem to build my house, to rebuild the temple. But you are actually all of you busy building your own houses. And you are neglecting my house. And then verse 14 says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord, their God. I love this. They're like, yeah, yes, we, we want to have our little houses built. But hey, together, we can actually build the house of God. I love this. Zerubbabel and the returning Jews, they resumed the work on the temple. And then the temple was rebuilt, it was completed, and it was dedicated. And what a glorious moment that was. There is another example I'm going to point out in the Old Testament. And that happened roughly a hundred years later. And it was the story of Nehemiah. In the year 444 before Christ, Nehemiah, who is uh, away in Persia and he's living a, uh, um, a, a, a comfortable life. He was a cupbearer to the king. Uh, he is granted permission to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city. So he comes back to Jerusalem and he's doing inspection. He wants to see... Um, how are the walls of the city? And he quickly understands that the walls are broken down. And so, long story short, what was impossible for about 70 years, listen to this, Nehemiah accomplishes in just 52 days. In less than two months, the walls of Jerusalem are completed. 
How did he do it? Listen to this. I love this. He gathered the families of Jerusalem. And he told them, hey, each of you, where you live, how about you build the section of the wall that's right next or right opposite to your house? And that's what they did. They all linked together. They all aligned. And together they built the walls of the city. Every one of them built a section of the wall that was close to their own house. Actually, six times it says that they built the section opposite his house or in front of his house. And 18 times they say that they built next to each other. A good example of that is Nehemiah chapter 3 verses 28 and 29. It says above the horse gate the priests made repairs each in front of his own house. Next to them Zadok son of Immer made repairs opposite his house. Next to him Shemaiah son of Shechaniah the guard of the east gate made repairs. And so on and on. They all built the wall of the city right next to their house. Now, friends, I believe we can all do that. None of us can build the house of God. None of us can build the, the wall of the city by ourselves. But if we connect, if we align, together we can actually build the wall. Together we can build the house of God. So my second point is, with your house, build God's house. Can we say that together? With your house, build God's house. Let's do that together again. With your house, build God's house. So friends, do build your house. It's important. But then, with your house, build God's house. And how many of you know, how many of you want to know number three? My point number three is, let God build your house. So just a quick recap. Number one, build your house. Number two, with your house, build God's house. Here is number three. What if actually God himself starts building your house? That's another level. See, I believe that as you build the house of God, God promises to build yours. As you invest into his affairs... He actually will invest into your affairs. If you build his house, he's going to build your house. And friends, trust me, he is a much better builder. And he is a much more generous builder. Let me give you a story from the New Testament. This is the story of Peter, one of the disciples. We read about that in the book of Mark chapter 10. Uh, then Peter spoke up, of course, as he would always do. He says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Now, that was a frank statement. They all did that. They left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus replies, truly, I tell you, no one, no one, who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel. Listen to this. 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Somebody should like say hallelujah. See, when you build God's house, you can be certain that he's not going to be your debtor. Your debtor. He's not going to owe you anything. If you build his house, he's going to build your house. And he's a much better builder. He's a much more generous builder. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you with abundance. He's going to bless you with generosity. He's going to bless you with prosperity and with persecutions. <laughs> I love how he filled that in. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be that easy, friends. There's going to be some pressure you have to go through. I'm going to bless you. If you build my house, promise made, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to build your house. I love that. You know, early on in our marriage, we decided to risk it with Jesus. We actually made that commitment. We said, Jesus, we will invest all of our lives to serve you. We will follow you. We'll build your house. And, you know, our life, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary this Tuesday. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a long celebration because we started celebrating two weeks ago and we're still celebrating. <clears throat> but hey, it's only, in, uh, it's only once in 25 years. But our life is a huge testimony to the goodness of God. And I can promise you, if you build His house, God is going to surprise you with so many benefits. He's going to bless you tremendously. My testimony... The story of my life, the story of my parents, my grandparents is actually a testimony to the goodness of God. And I can guarantee you, if you build his house, he's going to build you. He's going to build your house. You're going to be a walking testimony to God's generosity, his unmerited favor. Hallelujah. I'm going to get just a little more sentimental right now. Uh, I think I told you, uh, I told our church that uh, two weeks ago my grandmother passed away. We're going to have her funeral tomorrow. And it's, uh, it's an amazing testimony. Her life is an amazing testimony. Uh, she uh, grew up as a child with a stigma of being born out of wedlock. Soon after that, she became a complete orphan. As a child, she grew up actually doing child labor. She was a slave or a servant girl. When she was a teenager, she became an immigrant, moving to another country, basically for work. And after that, she got married, but she got married to a guy she didn't know. I can explain the story personally later. 
And she lived to be almost 95 years. Seven children. So many grandkids, I can't even count. And then great grandkids. And with our Jonathan, even great, great, great grandkids. And, you know, just in that family, there's probably, I don't know, half a dozen pastors, missionaries, evangelists that have literally touched the whole globe. When we meet as a family, and tomorrow I'm actually looking forward to meet my uncles and cousins and all of those. It's like a pastor's conference. And you know, my grandma could not really speak in the last couple of years. She had dementia. But uh, when my mom would take her to see the doctor, and my grandma was already, you know, she did not, she was, she did not recognize anyone. She would come to the doctor's office and in the waiting room. She would come to every single person and she would shake their hands and she said, God bless you, my friend. God bless you, my friend. She thought she was in church. <laughs> she actually hosted church all of her adult life. My grandpa and my uh, grandma, they actually built the church building on their property. And that church is now probably 600 people. They planted the church and they have seen that ministry flourish throughout the generations. And my grandma would often say, God is so good. He took this orphan girl, a slave girl, and blessed. She was, she was so thankful. You know, let me say, if you build God's house, He's going to build yours. So yes, build your house. Please do that. Otherwise, you're not qualified to serve God. But then with your house, build God's house. And if you do that, number three, if you build God's house, He's going to build yours. And He's a much better builder. Somebody should get excited. I'm going to close soon and... Uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 127, this is what the Bible says. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat or studying for the exams. For he grants sleep, somebody should be laughing here, to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not, put, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Friends, unless the Lord builds your house, the Bible says the builders labor in vain but when he does build your house when he does build your house he's going to shock you he's going to bless you to the overflowing you know maybe some of you are you have experienced so much heaviness and your life have seemed to be 
unfair. I want to I wanna tell you, hey, this is not the end of the story yet. Yes, he said persecutions. You may need to push through. You may need to remain faithful. You may need to go through some trials and temptation and fight your fight. But then you're going to look back and you'll see your life. And just like my grandma, you will say, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. Unless the Lord builds your life, it's in vain. But if he does, if he does build your life, then it's going to shock you. I wonder if we could all stand. You know, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the scripture actually calls us uh, stewards in God's house. Stewards in his house. Uh, Paul says, this is then how you ought to regard us. Servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries. Stewards. That was a house manager. You are just manager of what God has blessed you with. And tonight, um, I believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring in us a passion uh, to build His house. Yes, we, yes, we want to do our best to build our house but then with our house we want to build his house and as we do that he wants to pour out these blessings to bless your house back um, I have already mentioned Zerubbabel and this is my final verse in Zechariah chapter 4 as they were building the new temple. This is what Zechariah says. Then the word, the word of the Lord came to me. Who dares to despise the day of small beginnings? Who, who dares to despise the day of small beginnings? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone. In the hand of Zerubbabel. And I want to say prophetically that yes. This last year. You know. Uh, I think we had our first, church, first service in this place a year ago. May 30, 2021. So soon we're going to be celebrating our year one. And I'm so thankful. I'm blessed. I think we're all blessed. God has done an amazing thing, an amazing story. But it's just the beginning. We sh I think we have a picture to show. I think we have a picture to show if everything works okay. Uh, if we don't get the picture, then you have to Google it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I said Google. <laughs> and Google came up. He was listening to. <laughs> the six companies that started in a garage. 
and they are now some of the biggest companies in the world. And in a sense, you know, I believe that we have a similar story, church. We started in a basement. And then a year ago, uh, we, we, we started publicly here. And I prophetically, I want to say, I believe that, yes, we're blessed. Yes, I'm thankful. But it's just the beginning. And the scripture says, who will despise the day of small beginnings? Now, if these guys could start something famous and big, they are saved for their own benefit and for their own glory and for their own success and for their own name. Then how about if we build God's house? He will bless it. And I'm dreaming that we will spill out into the whole city from this building and bless the city of Budapest and the nations in Budapest out of this place. And I want to invite you to uh, participate in this, to actually invest your life, your talents, your time, your treasure into this. And together we can build God's house. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. Uh, we're going to pray right now. And I'm, yeah, you're already standing. Thank you so much. You're so nice. Uh, yeah, very, in a very simple way. If you want to say to Jesus, whether you are from this church, from Archer, or you're visiting tonight, you're like, yes, Lord, I want to serve in your house. I simply want to challenge you to raise your hands and just to say your own yes to him tonight. I'm just going to wait for a few seconds. Yeah, if you want to say like, yes, Lord, I will, I will serve in your house. I, I commit my life to be one of those that are building your house. I will build your house. I want to challenge you to say your yes tonight. Yeah, come on, come on. All over this room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, and God is calling some of you actually to put your talents on the altar. Your musical talents, your arts, your skills, your education, your upbringing, your capital. To put it on the altar and say, God, use the little I have for your glory. And he's going to multiply that because he's a much better builder. He's going to multiply that. And so Jesus, tonight, I ask, Lord, that you take what we have. You take what we give and you use it for your house. You use it for your kingdom. You use it for your glory. And together we say our yes and we commit and we say, Lord, use us to build your house. And as we do that, Father, we pray that you would build our house. That you would fulfill the dreams that we are dreaming. For your glory tonight, God. Thank you, Lord.